Welcome to the Variety Hour on AM 990, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mouth. I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You're from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Welcome to Talk Money on AM 990. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And good morning on a Friday morning. I'm Jim Shoemaker along with Eleanor Moskovich and Rob Clement. We're talking to you today about elder law and how to approach it and how to go through the long-term care questions and all of those things that you go through, especially if you happen to be in that sandwich generation where you have got that older parent and the younger children. It can be very stressful at home. So we've got that coming up uh, just after the break. But, you know, it's one of those mornings. i got to ask you, Eleanor, because, you know, I saw it coming in to the studio this morning and we a couple of guys in the car and we kind of commented because uh, as she was driving in, she was uh, doing something with her hair and, and spraying her. You're not and, talking about me. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. I'm not talking about you. But do, do you, what is, how does that go on? How do you how do we drive and get ready for work at the same time? Women are multitaskers. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just one of those gifts, right? That's right. That's right. So I mean, we did. We all commented, though. We were going to try to get by her to give her a thumbs up. She looked a lot better when she was continuing to do the work. <laughs> well, I was passing by the guy who was shaving. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we're see. equal I there. I have seen that, though. <laughs> That's I have right. actually seen that. you got some stats for us. I do. You know, we're talking about elder care law, and we know that um, there are – we're living longer. Americans are living longer. And – this is the first time in U.S. history that the number of Americans age 60 or older exceeds the number of Americans less than 15. In our history. That's correct. Correct. So we're living longer, so there's more of us. I, or us. I'm not us. No. <laughs> <laughs> I am not part of that age group yet. But and, but then there's fewer um, it, I guess we're not having as many children or something. So if you're a lawyer and you're going to specialize, elder law is That's probably right. A, a very thing. wise man to do that. <laughs> so we're going to be talking with Mac Bailey coming up. Rob, I mean, there's other statistics as far as debt and things like that with households. And, and so tell us a little bit about what's going on with that area. Really? You think we have debt here in America? Well, just a well, tad. Yeah. We do. The uh, BTN Research just came out with some uh, numbers at the end of December, and they were saying that uh, – the average household, now there's 116.3 million average households in America, and today $102,000 is what the average household carries in debt. But we also know you've got to take out some households that don't have any debt at all, and that raises the average household number up to 156000 Jim. Mm. Wow, one hundred fifty-six thousand—that's a uh, lot. It's twelve point six eight trillion total household debt, and it peaked in two thousand and eight. But it's down a little bit. It is. Uh, so we we since the recession, we have begun to pay off some of this debt, and uh, I guess that's either we're we're very conscious about it, or as we prepare uh, for our retirement years, we're trying to get out of debt. I think that is something that we see definitely in our uh, in our office. You know, uh, Alan Greenspan uh, in two thousand. 
2005. That's 10 years ago. Actually, 10 years ago next week, told the House Budget Committee, and here's what I like. He says the U.S. government needs to undertake major deficit-reducing actions. So I guess he was talking to the the, the country, the, the government, but uh, that's pretty amazing that he did that. He said, Greenspan says, I fear we may have already committed more physical resources to the baby boomer generation in its retirement years than our economy has the capacity to deliver. Mr. Greenspan was ringing the early oh, warning he sign. Was. He was. Uh, he was a pretty wise guy, too. And uh, so, uh, again, a lot of things going on today. We have um, an announcement that I need to make, and I'll make it now, and then I'll also talk about it later. But uh, Rebecca Brazier, who does our Mid-South History Moment, uh, where she will be on the air, but she has is celebrating the third child coming to that home. She delivered a, uh, what was it, five, seven pound, nine ounces? That's right. Baby boy. Baby boy. Third. Number third. three. Boy. I mean, that's a lot of work for me, Mama. You know, <laughs> but she can do it. She's she can awesome. Do it. Yes. Uh, so what's her name? Samuel Lucas. Lucas. That's uh, right. Samuel Lucas. Uh, I guess they're going to call him. Samuel. 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 <laughs> Samuel. Uh, that's great. Joshua and Caleb's that's two right. big brothers. And so we just want to say congratulations to Rebecca and uh, to Danny for that, because uh, they're a special group of people. And we're we're celebrating the seven pound, nine ounce baby boy. Uh, we're going to take a break in a second. We're coming back with Mac Bailey, who are the Bailey Law Firm. We're talking about elder law. And Rob Clement and Eleanor Moskovich are here with me again. And of course, uh, our other guest, Bill Reginald, talk about long term care. You're listening to Talk Money here on KW. AM 990. I'm Jim Shoemaker. We'll be right back after this. Have you thought about pursuing a career in financial services but have no experience in the industry and need training? If you are goal-oriented, highly motivated, and enjoy working with people, you have the skill set Shoemaker Financial is looking for. Shoemaker Financial is continuing to grow their team of financial advisors in the Mid-South, and they're ready with the training and tools you need to get started. With over 35 years of providing professional advice, quality products, and excellent service in the Mid-South, you too can now be a part of their growing firm. If you're interested in learning more about this opportunity, contact Haley Kemp at 901-757-5757 or email at hkemp at shoemakerfinancial.com. Uh, welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker along with Eleanor Moscovich and Rob Clement. We're talking with Mac Bailey, but before I get into that, and we're going to be talking about elder law, so stay tuned. We'll be That's going to be a big subject because a lot of us have that issue that we need to be preparing for it. But i got to recommend that we're going to now open an investment firm at Germantown High School with Miss <laughs> Likely's fourth period class. What I do think you think? that would be a great idea. I mean, I think they're good. I yes. mean, they are for four weeks in a row. They are just, I mean, they're up 4.34%. Uh, they got a portfolio value of 104000 Of course, if you just tuned in and you have no earthly idea what we're talking about, but there is a contest going on between Germantown High School. So there's four of her, Ms. Likely's economic and business classes, Briarcrest High School. We're going to invite some other classes next year when we do this again. Yes. Uh, but this is week five of the investment commit competition between these two schools. They were given how much money? 100000 virtual. Virtual. Yes. Be sure to say that. <laughs> Virtu- virtual dollars. And uh, they got one more week to go in Miss Likely's class. We had her on the air a couple of weeks ago. That's right. And a couple of her students, they're just, they're they were just sharp. doing great. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
uh, we're going to have a couple from Briarcrest. Of course, the competition there there's five hundred dollars in the stake for this, and uh, they got to, you know I like what they said, uh, Rob. You know they were talking about the fact that at some point in time they get to make the decision how they're going to spend the, the five hundred dollars. Exactly. I'm wondering where that's going to be spent. <laughs> Could it be I, electronics? Well, I, you know whatever. But I, I like food. the idea. They said food, big time yeah. with food. So that's a good thing. All right, uh, you can like us on Facebook. I, of course, that's important. Shoemaker Financial. Or if you'd like to get a repeat of this program later on this afternoon or tomorrow or anytime and you just didn't get to listen to all of it, and Mac Bailey, of course, is going to bring some tremendous information to you, just go on to iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial, and all of our programs are posted there, and you can listen to them, and they're edited. Art does a great job of taking out all of our mistakes, cleans us up, makes us look good. and uh, it's a tough it's, job. <laughs> which is a lot of work That's if you think about it. All right. Mac Bailey with the Bailey Law Firm is our guest today, along with uh, Bill Reginald from the firm. And we're talking about elder law. So, guys, welcome to the program. Morning, Jim. Good morning. Well, you know, here's the question for you guys. Uh, Mac, I want to start with you. What, when we say elder law, uh, all of us have a, you know, know what we're talking about. But to our listening audience, can you give us the, a, the definition of when we say elder law, what are we talking about? Elder law are basically legal issues affecting the senior population. So it may include uh, long-term care planning, such as Medicaid or VA benefits. It may include wills and trust. It may include uh, qualification for Medicare, uh, probate issues upon death. So elder law encompasses a number of different issues affecting the senior or older population. Are, are you saying then, Mac, that the reality is that that's a special, is there special laws that affect those people? Is that where, or us? <laughs> I'm, I, I'm going, no, no, everybody else. If this was live, if this was telev- television art, there'd be a bunch of people saying no way here. But, you know, hey, I'll deal with it. Well, I do want to clarify one point since you may not be able to see me on the radio. Elder law has everything to do with the age of the client and not the age of the lawyer. <laughs> I like that. That's good. Nor the age of the people doing the interview today either. That's right. <laughs> Correct. All right. Well, th- what is elder? What, when you say an elder lawyer, what is he specializing in there when you talk about that? Right. We're primarily dealing with people over age 65 uh, and the specific issues that affect people over age 65. And people over age 65 deal with Medicare, Social Security, uh, long-term care planning, how they're going to pay for nursing home costs or at-home care. And these are all issues very specific to that particular age population. So I guess when you talk about age-specific, okay, let's start with Medicaid because that's the big topic. Person 65, I mean, they get inundated with an enormous amount of paperwork, a lot of things being thrown at them. Walk us through the eligibility for Medicaid and then kind of walk us through some of the ways to pay for long-term care. I'm interested in both. Sure. Basically, there's five ways to pay for long-term care. Number one is private pay. You can write a check, and that works as long as you have money in the bank. Mm. Number two is long-term care insurance. Number three is Medicare, but that only lasts about 100 days worth of rehab. Fourth is Medicaid, which is different than Medicare. And then fifth, there's a veteran's benefit out there called aid and attendance that's available to pay for long-term care. So Medicare eligibility. Medicaid or? Medicare. Medicare Medicare eligibility is basically health insurance for people over age 65. And so you don't have any problems with that. When you turn 65, everybody gets it. Well, you get Part A, and then you have to pay a premium for Part B. You can elect out and go to Part C, which is called Medicare Advantage, which is a more of a managed care program for Medicare. And then you do also have Part D, which has to do with prescription drugs. So there are a number of different 
selections and options available to the senior at age 65. I had a question, Mac, that, that was asked of me recently. If I forgot to do something, it was I'm busy or, you know, and I took a trip or whatever, can I ever come back and, and re-enroll into, into the Medicare Part B? Absolutely. Okay, what, but there is a potential penalty. I think it's 10% of what the premium cost would have been per year. But there is a penalty, but it's not exorbitant. Not exorbitant. Okay. Well, that, that's what I'm interested in. I want to, I guess, Rob, I'm thinking about one of the questions you and I had talked about earlier as we were looking at the program. But, uh, Matt, well, why don't you just go ahead and ask, you know, Bill, from this standpoint of he talked about long-term care, Mac did, but how do you pr- help clients? I mean, what do you... Yeah, Bill, that's one of the considerations I'm sure that you spend a considerable amount of time on. What do you do in preparing your clients for uh, that period of life where they need long-term care? Well, good question because uh, you never know when you need it. Uh, Some people never need it, but you need to prepare just in case. Some people have assets, um, but others who don't have the assets may have enough money to pay a premium for a long-term care policy on a monthly basis. Others who maybe don't have much income – they can. They have a lump sum, maybe. They could just put that into the policy, and that would cover them for long-term care expenses. Um, that would be including skill care if you just need some help with your daily living or full-blown nursing care uh, in a home or in a nursing home. Uh, we've had uh, people do both. Wow. I want somebody to come to my house. I need to be able to pay them. So the nursing home policy will cover that and um, pay for the uh, – Worker, they come in the house, or mm-hmm. if you're in facility, they'll take care of that. Now, there's also another way. How's uh, that? Uh, this is, does double duty. You can buy a life insurance policy, and some have riders for long-term care. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically, the death benefit goes either way. If you need long-term care, it comes out of the death benefit. If When you die, then the residual on the death benefit goes to your heirs. So it's kind of like one-stop shopping. You, yeah, uh, okay. double duty. Okay. So, so when you say double duty, you're saying that I have the ability to pull the dollars down if I need them before I die. Correct. That's kind of good. But only for long-term care. Only for long. Oh, okay. So yeah, you that rider to, specific. You can't do. I, I need a new car. Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> so if I am in a facility and I go and I and I have a life insurance policy that has this rider on it, I can use that policy if I'm in if I eligible and end up in long term care, a nursing home. I can use those that death that money before I actually die. So I'm not really burdening my family uh, to, if I if I need that type of money. Correct. Correct. That's, that's um, okay. There is a percentage. You can't just say, well, let me take $50,000 out. But there's a percentage on a monthly basis. So there's, you need to read the policy. Yes. You need to have someone to explain the policy to you Correct. before you just jump on that. But uh, that is a great way to help individuals who, who have the problem of trying to find if they can get that rider. I guess, can you get the rider on an existing life insurance policy? No, you have to be underwritten on the front end okay, on the when front you start. End. Okay. All right. That's, that's important for a lot of our listeners to know that you just can't run out and call your agent today and say, hey, I need to add this to it. You need to start with that type policy that's right. designed for that. I know there's been a lot of issues around long-term care with the cost and then things like that, but I guess uh, when you look at the policies, the private pay, and Mac, you were talking about this a few minutes ago, um, Medicaid eligibility. I mean, so many people uh, forget that that is a possibility, and there's some planning that has to be done prior to that. Correct, because Medicaid is needs-based or means-tested which means that the government looks at income and assets to determine whether or not they will pay for an individual's long-term care costs. So you have to apply and become eligible for Medicaid. 
So, but now eligibility, talk about what does that mean? I mean, how do I apply and then how do I become eligible? Well, they're going to, when you apply, they're going to look at your income and your assets. And if you have too much assets, you will not be eligible for Medicaid. Or if you have too much income, there's a probability that you could not be eligible for Are Medicaid. Are you using some terms, too much? Too much. Okay. Now, walk me through this. Here I have, I'm just going to, let's just take a, you know, person. Well, Eleanor, you had your, your, your dad, your dad, your stepfather? Stepfather, yes. And my father-in-law now actually is 93 and he's a veteran. And so, um, just because I, I was going to ask you about the veterans uh, benefit abil- ability that is available for them, because there is, correct? That's correct. There's a thing. Uh, there's a benefit called the improved pension, which is a veterans benefit. Most people here uh, understand it as the aid and attendance benefit. Um, and there's some changes going on right now with the aid and attendance benefit. But currently, um, they look at your net worth and your income. And in general, rule of thumb is $80,000 or less, you will may be eligible for a veteran's aid and attendance benefit worth of net worth. And the general rule of thumb for income is as long as your medical expenses, which includes some kind of long-term care cost, exceed your income, then you'll be eligible for the veteran's benefit. Hmm. And the benefit ranges depending upon whether you're a veteran with a dependent or veteran without a dependent. But for a widow or widower, it's around $1,100 to a veteran up to $2,100 per month. So now that's a question because a widower, so if uh, I'm a veteran, okay, so uh, I would be eligible uh, or could be eligible. Correct. And then, but wouldn't, and so if I pass away, my my wife is still eligible to receive? That is is correct. And what they do is they look at your veteran status. You had to serve during a particular war time. You didn't have to be shot at, but you did have to serve during war time. Um, And then you also had to be honorably discharged. Okay, that's a, no. I'm kidding. <laughs> Is that a problem? <laughs> that's not a problem. <laughs> uh, all right, now let me let me ask this because here's the here's the problem. A lot of times, there's things you have to do. We're going to come back to Medicaid because we went straight from Medicaid to veterans. We'll come back to Medicaid, but there's things you have to do to be eligible. I mean, let's just let's draw this out. So I want because I want to paint the picture for for our listening audience, and you got a person that's got. $300,000. They live in a $150,000 home. They got their 401k plan. They're now It's now a self-directed IRA. They're re- taking required minimum distributions. Are they, are they eligible? I mean, with that, how do you make, how do you help them become eligible? That's how most of our clients come to us. Okay. And then we help them become eligible by basically restructuring their assets and their income so they will become eligible. Um, for example, look at the residence. The residence exempt, so we don't have to do anything with the house. Okay, the house is just take the house right out of the equation. Exactly. And for VA benefits, the value is unlimited. And for Medicaid, it's five hundred and fifty-two thousand dollars as the cap. So the house is exempt. Then you look at the other assets, and majority of time we have to make transfers of those assets from the veteran or from the Medicaid applicant down to the next generation. And we do that either outright to them. Or we can do it in form of a trust. We transfer assets to what we call a Veterans Asset Protection Trust or a Medicaid Asset Protection Trust in order to make them eligible for Medicaid, get them below the asset limits. All right, let's stop for a second. I don't want to confuse because I'm getting confused. Me too. Okay. <laughs> it didn't take long. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Hey, it's good that we're on the program, though. You know, we can at least act like we know what we're talking about, right? Uh, if you're talking about, let's just move away from Medicaid. Let's go back to the veterans. Gotcha. So many times you have a couple sitting in the office. They're sitting, they're thinking about this. 
They've got to get the assets out. You said using a trust. Correct. Uh, what are they? Is that permanently away from them once they give it? You know, once it goes into the trust, are they now done? Can they ever say, "Ah, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. Let's get the money back." Yeah, these trusts are irrevocable, and so once they transfer the assets to these particular trusts or to their kids, they cannot get the assets back. So there is a trade-off. There's a balancing there between the client wanting to apply and become eligible for Med- uh, Medicaid or VA benefits and basically trusting their kids with the funds that they transfer to them. Mac, do you, do you find – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this out to you, and I'm going to let you kind of tell us really what you're thinking. There's sometimes people that will make this guarantee to people, to a, to a client, to a, to a person who needs to do this. If you do it with us, we guarantee you that you'll get the veteran's benefits. What's your thoughts on that? There is no 100% guarantee in the law. I tell my clients that on a regular basis. and That's why you're on the program, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, but individual, uh, in, in general, if an individual makes a representation like that to you, it's untrue. And uh, they are trying to make a sale as opposed to do planning for yeah. you. And there is a big difference between planning and selling something yeah. to someone. So so let's talk about that. The, the planning process, would you just for, for in your own practice, and guys, just help me with this. What are you What are you talking to? Let's just say that you're talking and, and tell us what you're asking and what are you looking for to, to make a person eligible to even do this? Well, we're, we're trying to restructure their income and their assets so they'll be below those thresholds. And for veterans benefits, the threshold is generally $80,000. For Medicaid, it's actually $2,000. That's a lot different. Mm. Um, so it's very asset specific. We're basically gathering information from the client. We're sitting down with the client and saying, what assets do you have? How are they titled? What type of asset? Is it a 401K or is it a CD at the bank? And it all makes a difference. All right, I, I'm going to stop you just for this part. If I, if I have the assets in my name, I have to get them out of my name. That's correct. Because I'm the veteran. Correct. All right. If my spouse has them in her name, does she have to get those assets out of her name? Yes. Both Veterans Benefits and Medicaid treat the husband and wife as one. As one. That's, that's correct. That's a big deal. One thing we're—I don't know if you've had seen this problem, but um, my father-in-law does not want to relinquish that money, you know, and it's just hard for them to give it up to turn it over to somebody else. How do you deal with it? It's a, it's a loss of control issue, yeah. and so that's where they're having to balance that out to where they really want to apply for this benefit or need for this uh, for this benefit, or do they want to stay in control over their assets? And it's. You know, it's where partly I'm a lawyer and partly I'm a psychologist. That, I bet. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. It's just hard. It's just really hard. He's having a hard time dealing with that. Just, I think that generation too. It's hard to, you know, they've gone through the depression. They've, you know, dealt with that, and so it's hard to let go of that. Yeah, and most of these individuals have saved their entire life. So you're dealing with an 85 year old who has saved since they were 21, and now you're telling them that's t- something totally opposite to their normal financial psyche, which is mm. to transfer all their assets out of their name and have be penniless. Wow. Mm. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk more about Medicaid and how you become eligible for Medicaid. We've been talking about veterans' benefits and how to become eligible for veterans' benefits. I'm Jim Shoemaker, along with Rob Clement and Eller Moscovich. We're talking with Mac Bailey and Bill Reginald about elder law and long-term care and just the idea of estate planning and elder care and all the questions that goes on. And, and you know, we, we really have gotten into some very good, but there's some emotions here. And when we come back, I want to get into those emotions. Eller 
Gardner, you kind of tossed it up a little bit. The loss of control, yes. and that becomes a big issue. Uh, we're going to talk about managing the finances and for an incapacitated person. We're talking about living trust, the power of attorney, conservatorship, and all those technical things. And Mac Bailey does a great job of making it very simple for us. You're listening to Talk Money on KWAM. I'm Jim Shoemaker. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money on KWAM 990. Uh, along with Rob Clement and Eleanor, Eleanor Moskovich, uh, we have guests in the studio, Mac Bailey with the Bailey Law Firm and Bill Reginald with Shoemaker Financial. Let me give you their telephone numbers because they're throwing out some great information, and I want you to be able to contact them anytime after the program. So um, 847-2760, Mac. That's yours, right? 847? 843-2760. Correct. Well, I never did write that down right, did I? Give me the pen. Memory's the first thing to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, this is our last program. <laughs> that was quick. 843. Three. Got it. 843-2760. Yes, sir. I got it. <laughs> Hearing also. <laughs> I think Jim's up for an appointment with you, Mac. <laughs> All right. Uh, Jim, let me give you our number, 757-5757. Remember that. That, That's an important number. You know, I don't know if this is a good group to have. You know, maybe we want to do something else totally different than this group. First thing to go. Good gracious. All right. Okay. Let's see if I can continue to work this program. Uh, We're talking with Mac Bailey and the Bailey Law Firm and and Bill Reginald, as I've said. And and we were, before the program, before the break, we were talking about veterans' benefits, the eligibility, and Medicaid, and they're two different animals now. And I, and I, Mac, just tell us the Medicaid eligibility. And the bill, I really do, because you've had some that uh, because they did this, it was good, or some that did not do this, and it was bad. So I want to go to that too. But Mac, eligibility. Eligibility for Medicaid is basically you can own your residence up to $552,000 in value. You can own $2,000 in the bank. All right. You can have tangible personal property, which is like stuff in the house or contents of the house. That's the asset limitations for Medicaid, and that's fairly low. It's much lower than the VA. Now, if you are married, you can keep an additional amount for the at-home spouse, what we call the community spouse, and that's approximately $119,000. But those are the income and asset uh, eligibility rules for Medicaid. All right, and we're talking, when when you talk to the children of this, as, as Eleanor said, her, her 90-year-old, was it your stepfather or your Father-in-law. Father-in-law. Mm-hmm. All right. You're talking to the children, and, and, and you're trying to help them work through because they're looking at dad's estate of whatever. Normally not a lot of money, probably, in this that generation. And yet whatever it is, they don't want it to just get sucked up and gone. They want to protect it. And now let's talk about the protection of that. Yeah, correct. They're, they're looking at a seven or eight or $9,000 per month expense with a $300,000 estate and realizing that that's going to last maybe three or four years. So what we're trying to do is take the assets and make sure the assets are categorized as exempt assets for Medicaid purposes to the extent we can, whether that may be buying a bigger house, for example. If someone has a $100,000 house, we may take some of their cash and CDs and buy a $250,000 house, for example. Or they may go ahead and transfer some assets down to the next generation. For Medicaid, there's a five-year look-back period, which means if you give something away and apply within five years, it may disqualify you from Medicaid. And also, we can uh, set up a personal care agreement where we pay the kids to take care of mom and dad, where mom and dad are actually paying the kids, 
And that payment is not a gift, so therefore it doesn't count against that five-year look-back period. So there are a lot of good strategies out there to help qualify for Medicaid. But they need to understand that you don't wait till just before mom and dad is uh, headed to a retirement home or a nursing home. Uh, they need to... It's they need per- to do the planning now. Preventative planning. I mean, the worst thing that we have is when someone shows up with the admission papers trying to get into, med- into the nursing home the next day. Bill, talk about that. You've, you've helped some people get started with this. And, and so what are some of the things that you're looking for? Yeah, yes, I have. Um, first of all, I had my dad die and my stepmother was left and uh, she was not in best of health. So we had to work with her and her assets. And fortunately, she did have a long-term care policy. And she had enough assets, so she couldn't qualify for a lot of the things that we have. But uh, fortunately, going into the nursing home, she had enough money to cover uh, whatever her needs were. And uh, I expected maybe it'd be a long time. She was around for maybe a couple of years. And, uh, but the expenses were kind of high, $160,000 during those two years, 80000 each. Uh, of course, it, it ramped up. It wasn't eighty split uh, evenly because assisted living is a lot less expensive than nursing home. And we got up to about $8,000 a month uh, in nursing home. Mm. We've had, we've had other clients and, and Mac, you've talked about this. I've had clients where I've worked with them uh, and, and said, okay, guys, let's make some of these gifts or transfers, whether they use a trust or just an outright gift. I mean, uh, where you have a child, it's, a, it's the only child and there's not going to be competition. What about the competition though with the children when there is that multiple group, that, that sibling group? It's very important to know the family dynamics when you're doing elder law planning because they're all different. Um, and siblings sometimes get along, siblings sometimes do not. And every child is not the same. Some children actually have a make a good living and have assets or resources. Other children are destitute. Uh, some children have uh, mental issues, for example. They may have had uh, some type of long-term mental illness that would affect their ability to help their parents. So family dynamics and who and what they're doing is very important in this planning process. And so it's a process. You use the term process. When we come back, I want to talk about that process. How do you walk the client through? What are you talking to them? The emotions again about it. Bill, I want you to help us some of the things that go on from there uh, because it, it's, it is a process and it's just something you don't walk in and, okay, you flip the switch and you got five documents and everything's done. It may take you several months. So it is a planning process. Correct. If you're just tuned in, I'm Jim Shoemaker along with Eleanor Moskovich and Rob Clement. We're talking about elder law, uh, the estate planning and, and elder care. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the incapacitated person and living trust, powers of attorney, conservatorship, all those things that kind of get us moving in that right in that direction. Uh, if you want to talk to Mike Bailey, it's 843 843- 2760. I got it right that time, Great. guys. 843 2760 or Bill Reginald 757 5757. We're going to take a break, and Rebecca Brazier is going to read the Mid South uh, moment for us. And I just want to remind you, she has a seven pound, nine ounce new baby boy named Samuel Lucas. And we want to congratulate her and Danny for that new addition to the family. Ida Wells was notorious in her time. She was a slave when she was born in 1862 in Holly Springs, Mississippi. But when the Civil War ended, she was able to begin attending school as a former slave through the Freedmen's Bureau. When she lost both parents to the yellow fever epidemic at the age of 16, she took a job as a teacher and moved to Memphis. After two incidents and when she was thrown off trains for sitting in the all-white sections, a circuit court judge ruled in her favor and awarded her $500. 
but his decision was later overruled by the Tennessee Supreme Court. Wells also worked as a journalist during this time, and after receiving death threats in response to her reporting of local lynchings, she moved north, first to New York and later to Chicago, and continued to write and speak publicly about the ongoing racial violence in the South. Although not as well known as Dr. Martin Luther King, Wells is revered today as an important leader in the civil rights movement. This has been another Mid-South History Moment, brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. And welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker, along with Eleanor Moskovich and Rob Clement. We're talking with Mac Bailey and Bill Reginald. It's estate planning and elder care. It's the idea of what that sandwich generation, you may have children still at home, but you got to take care of the, the parent. And that is a very, very difficult thing to do. And a lot of emotions go on with that. And I just think it's one of those subjects that uh, you need to spend some time thinking about it. And if you missed the old program, you can like us on Facebook or find us at iTunes and search. Just go into iTunes and search and type in Shoemaker Financial. You can get the program and it'll be all edited and cleaned up and the hearing impaired here guy will <laughs> or the, the memory impaired is that what we're saying the memory Hopefully they'll impaired. take that part out <laughs> they'll take that part out back i'm wondering about a couple of things here when you talk about the planning process are we talking about there's a certain time when an individual if i'm a 40 year old or if i'm a 50 year old or when does the planning process begin well, if you're talking about planning for incapacity, for example, I think that begins as soon as you get old enough to become disabled, so at age 21 and over. Um, but I think many times 30- and 40-year-olds need to do some preventative planning before they get to 60 or 70, and that would include basic estate planning, and part of a basic estate planning is a power of attorney that allows someone to make decisions for you in the event you're incapacitated. So I think it does start early. Yeah. You know, next week we've got a guy who's going to talk about disability insurance, and he's going to talk about that that unexpected incapacity. But when you talk about the power of attorney, I guarantee our listening audience right now, 60, 70, 80, 90 percent think that a marriage certificate immediately gives that spouse of yours total control if you're incapacitated. What about that, Mac? Uh, number one misconception. It exactly is. Exactly right. Marriage certificates and birth certificates are not powers of attorney. Um, we highly recommend that individuals, no matter what their age, as long as they're an adult, have a power of attorney for finance and a power of attorney for health care. Give me an example, because I, I, I mean, here's the point. People just don't think about that. And so if I am driving down the street and get hit by a bus and now I am in a coma uh, and I don't have a power of attorney, then, then can, what can my wife really do and what can she not do? I mean, that's a common example. You got husband and wife. Husband becomes disabled. Wife now needs to access his retirement account in order to pay for their disability care. Retirement accounts have beneficiary designations at death, not beneficiary designations during lifetime. So that spouse, that wife, needs a power of attorney to access her husband's retirement account in order to pay for his care. All right. Now, okay, let's say that my wife doesn't have that, and, now, and, I, and I'm incapacitated. I've got a couple hundred grand, that's in, you know, and she needs it to take care of me or whatever. She can't get it. So what do you, I mean, she's, I, told, I told her before I you know, went into the coma, call Mac. What, what's Mac going to do? Mac's going to take her down to court and open a conservatorship, which is basically a court action to get control over a disabled person's assets and health care or personal care. And that conservatorship process is very expensive, um, and it's also emotionally burdensome. 
when you say emotionally burdensome, I, I guess I'm thinking from a standpoint, let's put that onto my daughter, a daughter having to do that. Eleanor, back to your father-in-law or yes. your dad. That's a, you, you mentioned that a while ago. That is just a very tough emotional thing to do. It's very hard watching them um, go through this, and then you're trying to help them as a daughter, and um, it is very emotionally hard. And, and very strain, stre- stressful? Very stressful. Plus, you're trying to go along with your own life, your own children, yep. and uh, work duties and stuff, and then trying to step in and help out mom. And um, it's just very hard because mom, my mom at the time was going through some real hard times herself, and we were starting to see some dementia because of the stress because that, I guess, escalates when you are under stress. And so dealing with that and all her needs plus covering everything else, oh, it's that's really hard. a lot of yeah. things you know, from that standpoint. But if my wife can't get on to that, now you've made her you know, the conservatorship, she has to go back down to the courts once a year to to put all the records together, make sure that she's doing it right. Because I have two daughters, and they may not think mom's doing it right. That's great. They have to do annual accountings. They have to file inventories with the court. Every time you go down to court, you have to take your lawyer with you. And like I said, we're a for-profit business, so lawyers charge for their services. So the importance of power of attorney. We're talking about how to manage the finances of that incapacitated person. Living trust. That's a little talk, talk about that. A lot of people think of living trust. And then we went through a period, Mac, back, say, 10 years ago, that everybody had to have a living trust. Do you still see that? Um, I think living trusts are still uh, great planning opportunities for certain people. They're not for everybody. Once again, uh, we try not to do cookie-cutter estate planning on elder law. And that, by the way, let me, let me say that what, that's a critical part right there. When, when you guys sit down with a client, you are absolutely looking at the client, thinking for the client, helping through the estate plan. It's not cookie-cutter. You walk in the door, and you've got to have 16 documents. That's correct. Uh, most of the initial consult is asking questions of the client instead of telling the client what they need to do because I can't tell the client what to do until I know all their information. So let's. Uh, now, I, I guess that is so important. I'm thinking of the person you know listening to the program. They have this need. They don't have a power of attorney. Mm. They may need a living trust. Eleanor, you know, you're thinking about that, but they don't know how to talk to Mac. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And they have this fear if I call the lawyer. <laughs> so how do we help them get through that? Mm, that's a tough one. I, I, that's where I guess it would be helpful for family members to come alongside, um, financial planners, you know, those who are in your life, maybe a pastor or something to direct you to someone like you to help you be able to um, go go through the process, but and it is very difficult. It's very difficult. Bill, what do you do from a planning practice? What, how do you help a client move through this process? Because I'm going to get with Mac in a second because I'm, I'm thinking they got to walk in the door, but what's, how do we help them do that? Well, we address that through our planning also. Um, we do a broad-based plan, touch each area of life, uh, retirement, disability, and so forth, but one of the important parts is long-term care and uh, address that issue and help them work through that, make sure they have the legal documents that Mac's talking about, but also some way to handle the, the, the cost if they have that. And uh, doing proper planning will put that in place. You said, actually, you know, ask a lot of questions, uh, helping with the emotions, bringing the family members together, the planner, Eleanor, you talked about the pastor, everybody just getting into a room. Mac, I mean, people, people fear the cost they fear the emotions. I mean, a lot of people are willing to to drive down the street and never do it because they don't want to talk about death. Mm-hmm. So how do you how do you encourage them? I mean, I know the purpose of a power of attorney. I mean, I've had clients that 
you know, that, that come to us because the pastor sent them to us and they don't have the power of attorney and we have the incapacitated. And it's a nightmare. It, it absolutely can be a nightmare. And it's uh, you've already dealing with the emotions of a family member being injured. Right. Uh, or maybe they're permanently and totally incapacitated. They can't communicate anymore. And so uh, I think it can be certainly overwhelming. Uh, I like the idea, though, from a team approach, having the financial advisor at the meeting because they trust the financial advisor, for example. Uh, We have a large conference room because many times we'll have the parents and the kids come uh, and speak with us. And I think that gives them a level of comfort knowing they've got other family members there to bounce ideas off of and to ask questions of. Well, if you just tuned in, we're talking with Mac Bailey and Bill Reginald. Mac Bailey's telephone number, 843-2760, A person that, uh, you know, if you don't have that power of attorney, if you don't have the power of attorney for financial reasons or for medical reasons, and I guess, Mac, real quick before, well, when we come back, let's do this. We'll take the break. We'll come back. Why do you need it for medical reasons? That's my question for you. And then I'm really looking at elder abuse. My mom uh, spent the last period of her life in, in a nursing home. And, uh, you know, I can tell you that she didn't have elder abuse because uh, we knew what to do and we were there unannounced a lot of times, just watch. But that wasn't always the case. And uh, so I want to talk about elder abuse. But um, again, we'll come back to just we've got to take a break for weather and traffic. Uh, you're listening to Talk Money on the KWAM 990. Like us on Facebook or go to iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial. If you like the program, it's very simple and it's a great program because we got great people on the program today. So we'll be right back after weather and traffic. Take a second and think about the three most important goals or priorities in your life right now. At Shoemaker Financial, their team of qualified and experienced financial professionals is committed to helping you achieve these goals or priorities. From insurance needs to college funding, retirement, or estate planning, Shoemaker Financial is here to help you accomplish your long-term financial objectives. To learn more, visit ShoemakerFinancial.com or contact them at 901-757-5757. At Shoemaker Financial, it's not just the plan, it's the results. Mac, we were talking about power of attorney and the importance of that. And on the emotional side of it with my stepfather, we were having to get the paperwork for power of attorney there in the hospital at the side of his bed and bring in the legal people that we needed to to do those documents. It was, And that was tough and emotional and, and hard for the family. I think that's the worst time when you're being rolled in on the gurney out of the ambulance to <laughs> be presented with a legal document and say, sign here. And that's yes. why preventative planning is so important. And, yeah. it, and it makes it more thoughtful process to make sure that you're expressing your desires the way you want them expressed. Yes. Unfortunately, we, we, he was not prepared at the time. So it was difficult to do that. Mac, it seems like everybody is online and everything is online. Can I get a power of attorney online? You absolutely can get a power of attorney online. Here's the issue with it. Um, those powers of attorney are probably valid legal documents, and they have lots of blanks in them. And the problem is that if you're not a lawyer, you may not know what to put in the blank. And if you put something incorrect in the blank, then you spent your money and your time for something that could be completely ineffective when you need it. You know, I would never, never. I mean, it's like taking a chance. I mean, you're rolling the dice on something that is so critical and so important. Let me just say this to anybody listening. Don't, don't. Put yourself where you're dealing with enormous amounts of money, and and on all and the and the way care can work. Uh, there's things you can do online, things you should do online. 
There are things you shouldn't do online. And uh, doing your will and your power of attorney and, uh, you know, things like that, just don't do that online. That's um, that's uh, That makes me nervous. And I've seen some of that, and I've just had to say, you know, uh, great try, guys, but here's some of the issues. And I'm not knocking the guys that do it, but I'm, I am just saying that, uh, it's uh, the, the amount of money you pay for a good attorney is probably one of the best investments that you make. That's the best way to put that. Sounds good. Sounds good to me, right? You know, from that standpoint. Uh, ch- abuse. Uh, you know, here's the problem. And you end up in a nursing home and, uh, you know, sometimes the parent is uh, in the nursing home and their children are in a different city and they don't have that person coming by. So, Mac, what do you look for? Well, there's two types of elder abuse. One is financial and one right. is physical. On the physical side, I think um, that's mostly visible. You can see that occurring. Mm. Um, and if you're a, a child out of town and your parent's in town, you can hire someone to go by and check on your parent on a regular basis. That person's called a geriatric care manager. Uh, and all facilities here in Memphis do a great job, but you know they're only as good as the people that they hire. And sometimes people, we all make mistakes as human beings. And so... Yeah, I think it's good to have eyes and ears on the ground for your parent if that parent is in a long-term care facility. We have a group that's called Serving Our Seniors that we have had on the program, and that's what they do. They're that geriatric caregiver that they make that, you know, they, they're, the, they're the eyes for the children from that standpoint. So, Bill, when you talk about, well, let me ask you this first before I go to Bill. Um, financial abuse? Uh, that's that's basically where a child or a next door neighbor takes advantage of a senior based on the fact that they may have dementia and they may make starting withdrawals from their accounts or transferring their house to themselves. So financial abuse is on the rise here. And that's something we have to be careful with. And when you have siblings, Bill, how, you know, you got the dominant sibling that's taking care of something, but you have the other sibling that may be close and they're not managing the money the way they should be. Right. You have to have somebody uh, looking in on that, too. Um, and it's good to have joint at times, uh, but you, you have all kinds of abuse in nursing homes, uh, physical and then neglect. Yeah, neglect. And so we brought uh, my wife's dad to our home and had skilled care coming in so we could oversee it right there. Well, you know, we have been talking about a very, very important subject about elder care. Mac Bailey an elder care specialist. He's an elder care lawyer. It specializes just in elder care. You can reach him if you'd like at 843-2760, 843-2760. If you'd like to listen to this program again, just like us, find us on iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial and then go to this program on elder care. It's just estate planning and elder care. That's the title of the program. Bill Reginald, of course, you can reach him at the office. He specializes in working with senior citizens, 757-5757, long-term care. If you want to know more about the long-term care needs and how to purchase it, he talked about an insurance product that you can actually buy that in case you know you need it before you die, it has a rider on it that you can use it. Next week, Terry Rogers, Shoemaker Financial, also will be here. He's talking about budgeting 101 and the need for disability insurance. And I mean, we talked about that today, the incapacitated person, how to do some planning prior to that actually happening. So it's been a good program, Eleanor. Thank you so much. Thank you. And Rob, thank you so much. 
Glad to be here. Well, you know, it's always good to have you guys here because you bring something, and sometimes you do let me know I don't have a hearing <laughs> problem, and uh, we'll work on that. But uh, I want to thank Art Frederick, who's our producer, and Ken Francis Fortner, who is the guest and content coordination, Eleanor Moscovich and Katie Brashear to do our production, and uh, they're the production assistants. Jeff Long, uh, great guy, compliance officer. Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson, who write the Mid-South History Moment and read it. And again, welcome, <laughs> welcome the new baby for Rebecca. A little baby boy, Samuel Lucas. I'm Jim Shoemaker. We're here every Friday. It's KWAM 990, and I appreciate you listening. We're here every Friday helping you make the most of your money. Jim Shoemaker, Rob Clement, and Bill Reginald are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated, securities dealer member FINRA SIPC. A registered investment advisor, Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Shoemaker Financial and Securian Financial Services are not affiliated with Mac Bailey or the Bailey Law Firm. Financial advisors do not provide specific tax and or legal advice. Shoemaker Financial and Securian Financial Services do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should always consult their tax and or legal professionals regarding their own specific situation.